Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. My name is Vincent. I am a total compulsive overeater. I basically tick uh, every box that there is to be ticked uh, when it comes to compulsive eating. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I am originally from Spain. I grew up in Spain in a very traditional uh, Mediterranean family, big family in a big house, three generations under the same roof. And um, my mom and my grandmother were the leaders of the pack. Uh, my mother was, is, is, she is a very controlling person uh, in every single aspect. Yeah. And she was also very controlling with food, not just with me. She was controlling with food for the for the whole family. And um, you know, I've been reflecting about it, and I think she was my my true first true higher power. Uh, maybe she was the higher power too much in the literal sense. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think as a little kid I probably appreciated it, but as I grew up, uh, I didn't appreciate it that much. Um, the interesting thing is that by controlling everything, including my food. You know, I was a relatively normal kid when it comes to weight. I didn't have any problems with weight uh, because fundamentally my mom slash higher power was controlling what I was eating. Now, at the age of nine, uh, my parents sent me in the summer for two weeks uh, to the island of Ibiza in, in Spain uh, with my uh, uncle and my auntie. Yeah, they live there. And uh, I spent two weeks with them. And a new world of possibilities opened before my eyes. They had no problem with me eating ice cream two, three times a day. I could have hot cocoa for breakfast. I could have the biggest lunch and snacks. I basically was completely unfettered. I could actually do anything I wanted when it came to food. Yeah. It was two weeks of bliss. Now... I came back after two weeks, and I remember right at the airport uh, uh, back in mainland Spain, and, and my mom was there to pick me up. And I remember she looked at me, and she said literally, what happened to you? In two weeks, I probably had put on all the weight at nine years old that uh, I possibly could cram in those two weeks because I just could have access to food as much as I wanted to. So that was my life from then on. I had discovered paradise, and I ate as much as I could. Obviously, I still at home. My mom did her best uh, to hide, not, not to hide, but to control food and that type of thing. But, you know, there was only so much you could do, and, and particularly as you get older as a kid, you could actually play all sorts of tricks and, you know, change food with other kids, and, you know, all those sorts of things that I'm sure many of us here have actually done. Now, uh, at 14... Um, that's when you start to take interest in, in, in girls or boys, as the case may be. And um, in my case, you know, I realized that being fat, there was no way the girls were, were going to come. Um, so I went on my first diet. It was a very successful diet. And lo and behold, I started dating and going out with girls, both through the fact that I had lost weight, but also by an increased sense of self-confidence that goes with it. I think in our disease, uh, it's a disease of the body and of the mind. And um, one of the things that, w- when I eat, I know I'm not doing the right thing. I know it in my heart. I- I've always known it. I mean, it's something that, that it's, it's there within you. 
And um, and when you eat, it's it's this double sentiment of one saying the deterioration of your body, and the second one is saying the fact that, you know, I, I know I'm not doing the right thing. Yeah, so my conscience is really not clean. Yeah, and I could see that. So by by not eating or eating less or eating more healthy, and by um, you know the effect that had on my body, that those two things went hand in hand. The, the problem is that it's not sustainable because it comes from a place of restriction. It doesn't come from a place of spiritual health. Yeah. And therefore, I was fat at 14, um, thin at 15, fat again at 18, you know, thin again at 19, and like that, you know, and it was up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And it's been like that basically all my life. It was all my life. Um, I even when I, when I was 40, 41, um, I even went to a, a psychologist because I realized that this wasn't something physical. Even though that had been my belief all along, at some point you realize, well, listen, I've been yo-yo dieting for all my life. Nothing has actually... I mean, diets did work, but they did not stick around, <laughs> right? Because there was something more, uh, something deeper in there. So I went to a psychologist. Um, nothing wrong with, with a psychologist, but it didn't really do much for me. You know, it, it tried to go back into my childhood and... The reality, the reality is that this is me. This is who I am. You know, my sister and I both have had the same mother. Yeah. And the reality is my sister is not a compulsive operator and I am. Yeah. That, that has been with me. I was born with it. That's who I am. And uh, no amount of psychology will actually get me out of that. That's the conclusion I came to. So now uh, my doctor, who's a great professional, um, after treating me and, you know, and putting me on different diets and things and, you know, injections and all sorts of crap, yeah, that, that good doctors actually do in good honesty and nothing actually, it worked for a little bit, um, actually recommended that I, I came to OA. At the time, I didn't even know what a 12-step program was. Yeah, and I was 42, 43 at the time. I had never heard of it. I had heard of AA, yeah, but more in films and things like that. I didn't have any friends who were in that program. And um, I, I just had no idea. So I went to my first meeting in uh, Roxbury Park here in LA. And uh, there was this pamphlet. And I said, it had a series of tick boxes. And I went through it, and it started asking questions, and it was a yes and no. Well... Um, I think there were 14 or 15 boxes. Let's say there were 14. I ticked 13 out of them. And I realized, gee, this is defining me. This is, this is who I am. This is who I am. You know, it's, it's very, very, very clear. So I started to come to meetings and uh, I saw people and I realized for the first time in my life, after having done diets, after having been to Weight Watchers, I've done all the shit that many of us have done. I have realized that here there were people who were abstinence for 26 years or 30 years or, you know, they had healthy body weights. And also they were talking about something else, which was enduring happiness. You know, I'm using those terms. People use different words to describe it. But there was something that went beyond just maintaining the body weight. It felt almost like the body weight is actually a consequence of the fit spiritual condition. Yeah. So... 
on that, for me personally, I, I, I am a staunch atheist. I mean, not even agnostic. I, I, I grew up Catholic, and as a little kid, I believed. You know, I went to Catholicism, I went to church every week. I, you know, I did what every other kid did where I grew up. Yeah. And as a kid, I firmly believed. I remember in bed talking to God. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Now, at the age of 14, 15, I started to look at the whole religion thing. Yeah. In my case, the Catholic religion. And the Catholic Church, you know, at least in Spain at the time, was conservative, misogynist, homophobic, materialistic. You know, all the things that I didn't want to be. Yeah. Certainly that's not me. And, um, and, and they didn't make it easy, at least for somebody with, with my, my principles and my beliefs. Um, not just that, but I was surrounded by, uh, you know, people who were actually very uh, rationalistic, very much engaged in intellectual pursuits. Um, so because of that, I actually abandoned the faith. Um, and one of the things that I've only come to realize recently is that I actually substituted one faith for another. Yeah, I substituted my faith in God, yeah, and in that case the, the Catholic religion, for a faith in reason. The interesting thing is that it's still a faith, right? I believed at the time that reason could conquer everything. I didn't look at the evidence of that, yeah, I didn't actually look at how real or realistic that was, I just simply believed it. And I went on with that belief for a long period of time. Yeah, without realizing that I was substituting one belief for another. Yeah. Now, obviously, um, you know, coming to the program, it's, it's, it's very difficult for me because for many, many years, it's been part of my identity to identify myself as somebody who doesn't believe in God and, you know, for some time looks down upon, you know, that type of, of I don't know, belief, right? And um, so when it's something that's been part of your identity for a long time, it's very difficult, at least in my case, to just, you know, put it aside in a truthful manner. Um, so that's been one of the hardest parts of the program for me. It's been how do I reconcile the fact that um, part of my healthy relationship with food, uh, which in turn is a healthy relationship with my feelings, which in truth is also part of healthy relationship with others, how do I reconcile that uh, having a spiritual condition is actually part of that? Yeah. Now, I understand the concept of the higher power, and I understand the, the fact that reason alone will not take me there, but how do I actually make that feel? And, um, and then I started looking at what I know, which is reason and books and, and things like that, and... Um, I came across something very, very interesting. Um, there's, there's a gentleman called William James. He's considered the, the father of modern American psychology. He's also a philosopher. He, he worked at this, sorry, he, yeah, he worked and lived at the same time as Sigmund Freud. So, and he's the one that basically introduced modern psychology to the U.S. And I came across something that I, I didn't expect to come across in a psychologist, right? Because psychologists at the time were effectively the scientists of the mind. Yeah, and they still are. So they're fundamentally scientists who try to define how the mind works. And William James, who, as I said, introduced psychology to the U.S., um, has this, this, this thing that I was simply not expecting. He said that the spiritual experience easily, permanently, and successfully often transforms 
the most intolerable misery into the most profound and enduring happiness. Go figure. So it's not just in the big book. Yeah. It's not just the evidence of all the, the people, the fellows, the friends that I've actually met here in the program. You know, it's actually there from people who actually study how the human mind and the human psyche actually works. Yeah, so for somebody like me, you know, who actually, you know, I'm entrenched in, in reason and I'm, I haven't actually really believed in God for a long time, you know, that actually is something that has actually helped me. Yeah. And that plus a little bit of uh, realizing that, uh, you know, I, I need to to be in touch with, with my feelings uh, to be a whole person. Right. Um, to me, that's that's uh, that's that's a difficult thing to do. I tend to be good at analyzing stuff. Yeah, I tend to be good at actually, you know, being with other people. I genuinely like being with other people. However, uh, when it comes to really understanding how I how I truly feel, um, I'm really not very good at it. Yeah, and it's therefore probably no surprise that what I've done in the past is I've eaten over it. Yeah, why is that? It's because fundamentally, eating gives me a short-term kick. Yeah, and either makes me a little bit happier, or it simply numbs my feelings. Yeah, when I used to binge, it just usually was at night. Yeah, I would actually do it when, you know, my wife was sleeping. I would go to to the fridge, and I would actually eat food. Yeah, remember one Christmas she made, we had just moved to LA and we discovered this thing called Tres Leches, which was a, a Mexican thing that we had never heard about. So my, my wife actually made it and she made this really, really big cake. Yeah. And I was able to actually finish it in a day. I mean, I'm surprised I didn't end up in hospital. Yeah. But why was I doing that? Uh, I was doing it because it blacked me out while I was actually eating. You know, I don't know what happened with the time that I was there. You know, why is that? Why do I have that need to black out? It's because fundamentally I am afraid or I am... Well, I really don't know. But, but, but fundamentally, I don't want to be in touch with what I'm really feeling. Yeah. And, and that is not good. And, and when I do that, it's, it's, it's definitely not a good thing. Now, I'm going to put that in contrast with now that I'm actually in the program. Yeah. Um, we had, just before uh, Christmas in November, um, my wife that was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, thank God it was a stage, so it's actually come out to be the best possible outcome. But still, as I'm sure you can imagine, and certainly for a period of time, it was actually very nerve-wracking and, 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 and very serious. Um, under normal circumstances, had I not been in the program, I would have stuffed my face. Totally. You know, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I would have gone to the fridge and I would have eaten my way through it because that's the way I've dealt with it all my life. Yeah, and um, being in the program, I just didn't do it. And that in itself, it's a miracle. Yeah. Why do I call it a miracle, by the way? Why does an atheist actually, uh, or agnostic, why, why do I use the word miracle? It's because I don't have an explanation for it. It happened. It's a fact. 
I cannot explain it. And you know what? I don't need to explain it. Because fundamentally, fundamentally, the program actually works. Yeah, and the program has, at least for me, um, well, actually, it's not just for me, it's actually very clearly laid out. Uh, the program actually has two aspects to it. One is the spiritual aspect, yeah, which, again, I'm not there 100%, as, as my sponsor knows. Uh, you know, I still struggle with, with the concept of a higher power, but when I do, I act as if, yeah, and I know, I am convinced that I will actually get there. I will get there to the point where I will actually truly, fully feel that and truly believe that there is a power higher than myself, yeah, that it's out there and the more I'm in, in good flow with that higher power, in synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, the better it is, yeah. And uh, by the way, the way I have defined that higher power is, is I call it the right thing, yeah. And um, actually one of my, my friends in the program uh, told me not long ago, that uh, she lives her life as if she lives through a glass house. And I thought that was absolutely beautiful. And, uh, and that's, that's effectively the definition of the right thing. You know, if, if you live your life and somebody was looking from the outside in, how would your life be? You know, would you be proud of that? Would you be able to say to your partner, to your kids, to your friends, to your parents, would you be able to say, gee, I, I live an honest, an honest life? Yeah, when it comes to eating and many other things, because eating at the end of the day is just a symptom. Yeah, it's just a kick in the in the in the in the disease. So that's one part is the spiritual condition. Yeah, that is something that I've made tremendous progress, but I'm still working on. The second one is the practice. So there's there's these two components: spiritual and practice. That's what makes up the program, in my opinion. Um, in terms of the practice. I personally struggle with discipline. Yeah. Uh, why is that? <laughs> it's because fundamentally my disease. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, fundamentally, my disease uh, actually thrives when I'm all over the place. Because, you know, it actually finds these little pockets of confusion to send me to the refrigerator. Yeah. Or to actually send me to the bag of chips. However, um, when I actually practice and I bring in some, um, I'm going to call it discipline, it may not be the right word, uh, maybe practice is actually a better word. Um, when I actually follow the practice, it's almost again by a miracle, <laughs> yeah, and this is something that my sponsor tells me as well, um, uh, it just works. Yeah, I, I don't really know why, I cannot explain it, I'm sure I could think about it, it doesn't really, really doesn't matter. Yeah, the reality is that when I actually follow the practice, I actually find myself eating like a normal person, which, by the way, I know I am not. So how is it possible that somebody who's never been normal when it comes to eating, by doing these two things, one is working on the spiritual side, and two, actually following a practice, which actually is not that complicated. Yeah, it's not, this is not, it's not rocket science. Yeah, it requires, however taking action, yeah, and seeking help, and doing things for others, and getting ourselves out, or in my case, me out of my little mind and my little ego, yeah, which it's, it's something that I, 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 I don't naturally do. But when I do it, the results are really quite uh, shocking, shocking in a good way. 
Right? So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my practice. Um, the things that actually conform, for me at least, uh, a good practice are reading. You know, I, I do that uh, during the day. Uh, talking to my sponsor daily. Uh, meditating. And when I say meditating, I meditate for five to ten minutes. So I'm not, uh, I'm not the Dalai Lama here. Uh, but it actually, it actually helps me to, to center myself. Uh, part of my practice is also doing some sports. Yeah, I, I've always been active. I've always liked it. Uh, not obviously, well, I don't know, obviously not, but not in a, in a compulsive manner, not as a way to actually, um, counteract any excess eating. Yeah. And, um, and then the last thing is, is a mental practice, which is to realize that a thought does not necessarily imply an action. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes we're actually not, um, responsible for our first thought, but we certainly are for our second one. Yeah. And we certainly are responsible for our actions. So that's one of the things that I wanted to probably end up with is that, you know, a thought is not an action. And that's one of the things that I monitor as part of my daily practice. And uh, with that, uh, I'm going to end my share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Operators Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you do not need to identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. I will call upon you, and then you can mute yourself and ask your questions. So we're going to start with uh, Nancy. Good morning all over the world. My name is Nancy Beecham and I am a compulsive overeater 100 pounder. And this program has worked for me for 44 years, maintaining 150 pound weight loss. Ah, what a beautiful share. What a great voice. I loved it. Um, would you share with us two things? One is because there's so many newcomers out there listening today, would you share a little more about when you got here? What were the things you did? Did you get a food plan? Did you get a sponsor? And about how much direction you have probably had to take, how much you have had to listen to other people tell you what to do, and if that was hard. And then that kind of leads into, are there other things that you've had to give up to retrain your habits? Because I understand here that we, are not, we don't say we're, we're um, sick. We're just we're just people who are sick, not people who are bad. So how did you kind of get rid of the sickness, the bad habits you had around behaviors and food? Yeah, thank you so much, Nancy. Those are great questions. So what did I do when I joined? Um, I joined about three, three and a half years ago now. And as I said, I went to the, the first meeting. And I, I went to the newcomers meeting um, in Roxbury Park, which is a virtual meeting that's happening tomorrow at 10 a.m. And uh, in there, I, I basically listened. Yeah, I, I went. I, I actually went and filled up the form, and I realized that, gee, this is me. I mean, it, it was the definition of me. And then from there, I actually went to a few meetings. I didn't master up the uh, the courage to actually talk to anybody for a few weeks, but I eventually did. Uh, I reached to somebody just totally randomly, and I asked her for uh, direction and help, and she was 
super welcoming. And that's the one thing that it's really surprised me about OA. Is that what I have found is that everybody here is here with a genuine um, desire to help. I have never seen that. I've never been in, I've been in organizations. I've been in, in non-profits. I've been in things like that. This is the one place where there truly is nothing else that I have experienced myself other than the willingness to help. So that person, actually, I spoke with her a few times, and then she said, get a sponsor. So I, you know, just went to meetings. I saw this gentleman there, and I thought I would approach him. And uh, it was totally random. Why I did is because I had a gut feeling. That was all. And um, my higher power actually made a great match. And honestly, I couldn't be more thankful. So... Uh, my recommendation is go to meetings, see if this is for you, go to a few, talk to people, don't be shy, I know it's easier said than that, and then get the sponsor. Then in terms of things to give up, the biggest thing I had to give up is my arrogance on the superiority of any type of rational thinking, yeah, and uh, any type of arrogance that I know better. The reality is when it comes to truth, I don't. I am the last one in the queue. I am the person that actually knows the least. So I've had to actually give up that arrogance, yeah, and and gain a little bit more humility and and take direction. And uh, and also I had to give up my my mind a little bit, stop thinking and start doing, right, and start doing particularly for others. So that's, again, another thing that I had to give up and and recommend. So with that said, uh, Cheryl. Uh, Cheryl, do you have a question? Oh, I'm sorry. That elusive mute button. <laughs> I found it. Hey, that was great, Vincent. I'm Cheryl. I'm a compulsive overeater and a gratefully recovered binge eater and bulimic who's been abstinent about 12, a little over 12 years. That was just wonderful. That was unique in many ways. Um, and I have a question for you. You had clearly delineated, there's two things, there's a practice, and you articulated what was entailed in that. I'm wondering if you could be um, as specific when you discuss the spirituality, which you discussed first. Is that clear? Yeah, absolutely. So, Cheryl, I have to say I may not be the best person to go to when it comes to spirituality. So I want to tell you what I've done. Um, what I've done is the first thing, is is the need to understand that this is actually a spiritual problem. Yeah, it's, and, 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 and there's good reason for that. It's because fundamentally our rational selves will actually not get us there. That's, that's the first thing to understand. The second thing is whether you believe or not, uh, it does not really matter. You have to act as if you believe because Belief, it's never an act of the mind. It's, a, it's an act of the soul, if you want. And I cannot even, re- I cannot actually define what soul is. So you have to act as if until it actually is there. And in my case, it's gradual. It's not, I didn't fall from a horse and then saw the light. That's not the case for me. It might have happened to others. And I know it has. But it's a gradual thing. So act as if for a period of time until you get there. And then the third thing I would say is, 
um, try to connect with God or with your higher power in a way that you define that higher power. And it's different for, for everybody. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what that God is. It can be a God in the traditional sense of the word. It can be a stone, a beautiful stone in your garden or a beautiful flower. It doesn't really matter. It's to understand that it's something that is outside you that you cannot control and something that you give yourself up to because you know that you and the people around you are going to be better for it. Because if you actually try to control it yourself, you try to actually sing in the theater where you can actually move every single actor, it doesn't work like that. The actors are there, the world is there, you might as well, well give yourself up and try to live in harmony with that world. Yeah. So that's my very, very personal uh, view on it. Again, may not be reflected from anybody else, but that's my personal view. Well, I wanted your personal, and I thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's fair. That's very nice. Uh, so, Michael Blank. Hi. Good morning, Vincent. Thank you for sharing with us this morning. So maybe to piggyback off your last um, uh, response, when your wife went through that traumatic experience, when I life gets traumatic for me and I get fearful, um, I uh, I lose faith. And I'm wondering if that experience, getting to the other side of that with your wife, and maybe specifically how you got through that. And, um, you know, I always think, I don't know, would I still have the faith? And most of the time it turns out pretty good. So maybe specifically talk about that time with your wife when you she was going through that traumatic time. Thanks, Vince. Uh, thanks, thank you, Mike. Um, so the first thing to say is that I don't actually see my higher power as being directive or arbitrary. Yeah? I don't think that the higher power is here to do anything good or bad for me. Yeah? That's the first thing to say. So I don't actually see the descent of this disease upon us as a punishment or the fact that it turned out well as, a, as an act of God. I don't see it like that. Um, because, in my opinion, yeah, I, I don't think my higher power is here to do things for me. I think that I am here to do things for my higher power. And when I do that, I'm more in harmony. So, so the, the way I went through it is it's effectively uh, to continue and, if anything, deepen, you know, the, the things that I do. You know, meditation, I see that as part of my contact with the higher power. You know, asking for help, asking for, but without actually expecting an outcome. And that, to me, is key. Yeah, I cannot actually think, oh, you know, when I when I grew up, as I said, I was Catholic, and Catholic Church uses guilt to, you know, they are so good at it. They are phenomenal, right? My mom was a master of using guilt. Uh, and I wish I was as good with my kids as she was. Anyway, uh, so it's, it's but, but fundamentally, I don't think that God is here to punish us or to reward us. I don't think that's the way it works. I think it's the other way around. Is ask yourself what you can actually do for your higher power, because that actually then reflects better on you, reflects better on the other. So as we were going through it, what I was trying to do is, okay, what can I do to actually help my wife, to actually help my kids, to actually help through the process, to not lose spiritual condition? Now, the reverse side of that, Michael, is that had I not done that, had I not kept my spiritual condition, guess what? I would have actually ended up in the fridge. Yeah. 
So, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's at least personally the, the, the way I actually saw it and the way I went through it. Thank you. All right, Marquez. Uh, good morning, Vincent. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I wanted to ask about your relationship with your family, uh, the, how it's changed, how it was, and what you use the program now when you talk with them or deal with them when they still do the same triggers that might have sent you to go eat. Yes, I, I man, they can trigger me. Uh, <laughs> so, what do I do? Uh, the, the first thing is, uh, you know, I, I am an adult and not a child. Yeah. And the way other people will actually treat me, uh, will be reflective of the way I actually then let them treat me. Yeah. My mom will always tell me, you know, oh, you're actually making an omelette. There's an egg too many in the omelette. If I make an omelette with three omelette, with, with three eggs, she will say two is better. If it's with two, she will say one is better. If I do it with one, she probably will tell me she'll have an omelette. Okay. Listen, that's, that's going to happen. That's a fact of life. I'm not going to change my mom. Yeah. Also, my mom, believe it or not, she comes from a place of love. Yeah. It's very difficult to see that sometimes. But I know it's there. I think she fundamentally, fundamentally, above, above everything else, she loves me. And she does that because that's the best way she knows how to love me. It's, it's weird. Yeah. It's sometimes counterproductive. All right. Thank you. It's counterproductive. But, but that's the way it is. So what do I do? I accept that. I try to be in harmony with that, no matter how much it triggers me. Yeah. And then as much as I may actually think, that I should actually, when my mom says something about my food or something that triggers me, I should actually reply and I should actually just confront. I actually pause and I look at my second thought. Yeah? And in some cases, that second thought is one of actually setting up boundaries. I'm not, I'm not a pushover. Yeah? In some cases, it's not. In some cases, it's, it's actually letting go. And I use my best judgment to actually do that. And, and the problem falls me in that regard. The other thing is the realization of this concept of a higher power. Yeah. Now, for many years, I blamed my mom for, I thought that because my mom was restricting me in food, I had actually become uh, an overeater. That's what I thought for many years. And that's what, by the way, what my psychologists seem to imply. Yeah. Now, what I come to realize, though, is that that's not the case at all. The case is that I wish my mom had been controlling my food all my life. If I ate like my mom told me to eat today, I would be better off for it. That's the reality. I may dislike it, but that's the reality. She would be a phenomenal higher power for me yeah, when it comes to food. She would be the best person to actually be my food sponsor. That's the reality. Now, it's taking me 45 years actually realize that. So, going back to your question, how did I approach it, Mark, is turn it around. And look at the reality, getting my ego out of the way. Yeah? And getting all the feelings that they actually have on me out of the way, and try to look at it as objectively as possible. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that it, as I said, it came from a place, place of love, as much as it pained me many, many times, and as much as some of their behaviors, I should know what they're learning to do to be, and some of them are actually unfair and I think wrong. But when that is the case, I know or I try to know 
when to push back, you don't know when to let go. And in other cases, I also tend to accept with humility that, you know what, maybe they are right. Yeah, and it's distinguishing between those three things. But it takes a lot of <laughs> taking a deep breath, right? Because just nobody like your mom or your dad to actually trigger you. <laughs> so that's what it is. Thank you, Mark. All right, uh, Mona? Hi, Vincent. Um, thank you so much for a beautiful and very relatable share. Um, I'm in a very early stages of recovery, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit uh, more about the process of developing your fate to a higher power when you first entered the program, like while you were working the steps the first time around. And was there a shift where you went from operating with uh, reason uh, like you mentioned, into a different kind of belief? And are there observations that you um, made of the changes that were happening within you? Yeah. So that's, that's been my biggest idea for Stavo Muna. Uh, it's, it's, for me, there hasn't been a binary change. There hasn't been one day I didn't believe the next day I believe. That, it, that has not been the case with me. It's been gradual. Yeah. And in the process, I've acted as if, without actually questioning yeah, what, what I have seen is this. I have seen other people in the program, not one, not two, but dozens, if not hundreds of people, whom actually have what I want. Yeah, And when I've asked them, they've all told me the same thing. So the evidence is before me, right? So whether I believe or not, it's to some extent a little bit, um, it's a little bit secondary. It's important that it's secondary. The first thing is to actually do it. Right, and and by doing it, uh, it actually helps me get there. So what I've done is I've actually acted as if. So I, for example, uh, one of the techniques that my sponsor taught me is um, when I'm going to eat uh, to actually talk to God and say, God, make it enough. Yeah, make it sufficient. Then when I actually really really want, you know, I, I work at home these days. The first thing I do when I go through that door, that my first thought every single day without fail is I want to go to the kitchen. That's my first thought. Okay? Every single day. Today. Yesterday. The day before. Now, what I do to sort of counteract that is I say, God, please remove me of the obsession. That helps. If that is not enough, then I actually pick up the phone and call people. Some people that I call I know some people are totally random. And the interesting thing is that I've made so many random calls. Everybody, everybody has been nice to me, has been caring. And honestly, I, I've never been in a place like that. You know, it's, it's almost like picking up a phone book and calling people and they're all going to be nice to you. So what I would say is act as if, ask for help for your higher power, whether you believe or not. It doesn't really matter. Do it constantly. And in my experience, at least, it will actually build up over time and use that in conjunction with the other tools like reaching out to fellows and, uh, you know, reading that type of thing. But to me, it's been a process. And it sounds like for you, it may be as well. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, continue the process. It will actually get you there. It will. <laughs>